I'm done here. I'm setting this up because um, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And there is no better time than Christmas. Amen? Amen. It is the greatest thing. There is nothing to be sad about at Christmas. Everything is right at Christmas. Good things happen to people at Christmas. There are no problems at Christmas. That's why I love Christmas. Uh, You know, not everybody has a great Christmas, right, Doug? Not everybody has a great Christmas? No. But this is the church. We pretend that we have a great Christmas, even if we're not having a great Christmas, right? I don't know. I yeah. mean, I would imagine there's probably still some pain and suffering going on in the world. Um, no, 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 no. We're Christians, ones. and so we have been taught over the years that the thing to do is to say that it's a great time. No matter if it's a great time or not, you just have to sort of have the right attitude, you know? Right, right. That's, that's Christmas. We can pretend that. That's cool. <laughs> Are you, so you think not everybody has it? Not every Christmas is great? Yeah. I mean, I've had Christmases that weren't great before. You had a Christmas that wasn't great? Yeah. When did you have a Christmas that wasn't well, great? All right, all right. So this one time, Vanessa and I had RJ was our only child at the time, and we lived in Kansas City, and every year, we a big part of our Christmas tradition is Vanessa's sister throws this ugly Christmas sweater party, and we just celebrated the ninth annual, and so it's kind of like, it's a big deal for us. It's, it's not Christmas without that, and uh, we were living in Kansas City, and I, had, I was running my business, and I didn't have anybody to cover for me, so I couldn't go, because it was on like the 20th. I wasn't going home for Christmas until like the 23rd, so I sent Vanessa... And RJ, ahead of me, on a plane, and they got to go to this party, and they're posting pictures on Facebook, and everybody's having a blast, and I'm not there. I'm at home eating Stouffer's macaroni and cheese <laughs> on the couch by myself. Um, that was a bummer. And that, so the rest of the Christmas, I finally get home, and then everybody's just talking about how great this party was, and somebody announced a baby, like somebody got engaged, like everything happened at that party that you'd want to be there for. And I'm just, I couldn't relate to anybody because I wasn't there. So I'm just like, I was Ebenezer Scrooge the rest of the Okay, so that's not a Christmas. great Christmas. It wasn't a great Christmas. Yeah. I guess if I think about it, um, you could go ahead and sit down now. All right. Now you told us your Christmas yeah. story. Let's hear it for Ricky at his Christmas story. <laughs> let's, let's clap for Ricky's misery, everyone. <laughs> You know, we, uh, we do kind of like to be cheery and optimistic and positive at Christmas. And uh, the truth of the matter is that not every Christmas is great. I don't have to tell you guys that. Um, the, there have been a numerous times in the Christmas season that have been difficult for me. Um, I remember um, one year when our children were little and we were in the minivan stage, um, we had loaded up. See, Christmas Eve is the big deal in our family. So uh, Christy's family and her extended family gathers from all the four corners at our house, and it's a huge deal at Christmas Eve, and we always gather somewhere. And uh, we decided that Christmas Eve that we're going to load everything up into the car and surprise the kids on Christmas Eve and take them to Disneyland. Cool, right? So what's better than that? Disneyland, Christmas, it was awesome. We loaded all the gifts and all the stuff into the car. We figured we'll go to Disneyland, and then when it gets to be mid-afternoon, we'll head back up the freeway, go out to uh, Christy's aunt's house where it was being held that year. And so we're, we're finished with Disneyland. We got cranky kids, tired kids, all that Disneyland stuff, right? Happiest place on earth. 
and um, we're, we're heading back up the 57 freeway in this old minivan that we had. And as we're going up the Tonner Canyon Road, uh, all of a sudden it starts to lose power. It starts to spurt and sputter. And we got to the Tonner Canyon cutoff and we were just coasting. And, and so you have to make this huge curve there to get off the freeway, if you know where I'm talking about, in Brea. And uh, we, we, we rolled as far as almost the end of the off-ramp, and I just pulled it over onto the side, and it turns out that we had blown our engine. And so we're on the side of the road with cranky kids on Christmas Eve with a blown engine, and we need to be at this big Christmas celebration, and our, our van is packed full of stuff. So we just called a friend and said, hey, can you come and get us? And they dropped what they were doing. They came and got us. And they took us home, or they took us, I guess, uh, to the place we were going. So we had to unpack all of the Christmas gifts from this van, stick them into these people's car, get a ride with them, get dropped off at this thing, get a ride home from that. And it was just a brutal thing. So we called this friend and, who we knew had a tow truck, and we said, listen, help us out. Our car is on the side of the road. Can you please send somebody to go and pick up our car? And we get a call back about an hour saying, Hey, my guy went there, but your car's gone. It got impounded because it, the bumper was one inch over the white line you know, on the side of the off-ramp there. So they impounded our car. So now it's Christmas. We've got a broken car. It's been impounded. It needs a new engine. And, uh, but it's, it, we get through Christmas Eve. It gets to be Christmas morning. And now we have to go all the way out to the Palm Springs area to spend the day with my family, so we have another car at home. So we load up that other car with all of the gifts and all the kids and the car seats and all that kind of stuff. Get in the car. It doesn't start. It too is broken. Merry Christmas. And so we unload. We actually had an extra car at that time because we had this little Renault Encore, which is about half the size of that seat. And, um, <laughs> and three kids... And we loaded all of the gifts into that little car, along with the kids, laid things across the top of the kids. I'm not sure if all the kids survived it, but we had to drive all the way to Palm Springs in that condition, in that little car, hoping that it would survive and make it all the way. And so I got to be honest with you, I spent more time grumbling that Christmas than I did rejoicing. And, and, and some of you have had that happen. Some of you know what it's like to um, spend that first Christmas when that loved one isn't there anymore. And to know the pain of that and to know the difficulty of that, in the year 2000, uh, it was around this time of year, it was the middle of uh, December, Christy and I were asleep in bed and I get a call in the middle of the night that woke me up saying that it was a hospital calling. It's not a call you like to get in the middle of the night. Saying that uh, Christy's sister and her husband had been in a car accident and they were in the emergency room, and they were asking me to come. And so I got up and took off and left Christy with the kids and went down to the hospital, only to find that basically what had happened was that my brother and sister-in-law had pulled out in to make a left turn, and a kid who was high on cocaine was racing and came and hit them broadside. Now, the first one I got to was my sister-in-law. She was in the emergency room. She was busted up pretty good. She was going to be in the hospital for a while, but she was okay. And I talked with her and prayed with her, but her husband wasn't there. He had already been taken to emergency brain surgery because his skull was crushed. And he survived the surgery, 
and uh, her husband, Mark, was one of my dearest friends. Uh, and I sat by his bed, holding his hand, watching the little machine blip until the machine didn't blip anymore. And he went to be with Jesus. And I'm telling you, that Christmas day was hard. So I, I felt like this morning as we think about this, and we think about the nativity scene and all the beauty of Christmas and all the wonder of Christmas and all the things that we traditionally think about with Christmas, that maybe it would be a good idea for the church to just take a second and get honest and talk about some of the realities of Christmas because Christmas is not always all that it's cracked up to be. For some of you, this <clears throat> is not a great Christmas season. You may not be looking forward to Christmas Day. Maybe you're going to spend it alone or, or maybe you're going to spend it with somebody you don't want to be with. <clears throat> or maybe there will be somebody you want to be with who isn't there and can't spend it with you. Some of you maybe uh, have plans that you made that didn't carry out and got ruined and fell through. Some of you have all these ideas of what you'd like to do for people this Christmas, but no money to do it with. Some of you are struggling in countless <clears throat> different ways. So there are difficult Christmases. And I'm sure that if you took the time to think about it, you could think about a difficult Christmas. Well, you should see all of your faces right now. It's kind of a downer in here. So let me try to bring the spirit up a little bit. <clears throat> let me ask you to think about this. Think about the best Christmas ever. <clears throat> you don't have to share about it. Just think about it. Get into your head. What was the best Christmas ever? Let me tell you, if you are a religious person, then you know that the appropriate answer to that question is what? The first Christmas. The first Christmas is the best Christmas ever, right? Or was it? Because if you think about it for just a second, I want you to think about the way that that first Christmas came about and all that it entailed. Because for years, no, decades, actually millennia, the Jewish people had been waiting for God to send a Savior. He had told them all the way back in the Garden of Eden that a Savior was coming one day. And they've been looking for a Savior ever since. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And there were multiple times that they had gotten their hopes up, but this Messiah that they were waiting for had never come. And if you can imagine being just a nice little Jewish family in that time, and, and, and your wife is pregnant, and you're thinking, man, she's going to have a child. I wonder if our child might grow up to be that Messiah that we're waiting for. And, and, and the little children would would wonder if maybe they could grow up one day and be that deliverer that everybody had talked about. They didn't dream of being presidents and kings and all of that. I think their greatest thought was this Messiah that was one day coming, but he never came. But the real story didn't work out the way everybody thought because they were looking for this Messiah who would, who would be born a king, who would ride in on a white horse and wipe out the Romans, who would take care of their captivity. The people during the time of Jesus were waiting for the Messiah to wipe out the Roman Empire and return Israel's greatness to them. But before that, there were people waiting for him to come and wipe out the Assyrians, and before that, to wipe out the Babylonians, and before that, to wipe out the Egyptians, and they were waiting and waiting and waiting. But the people of God just kept waiting. And when it finally happened, it didn't happen the way they thought it would happen. The children uh, read for us today, or, or recited for us, I should say, um, the scripture from Luke, 
where the angel appears to the shepherds. And he appears to the shepherds and he says, listen, there's going to be a Savior born. He's being born today in the city of David. Drop everything and go and see this long-awaited Messiah. And these shepherds, they're cute, right? My mother painted these. Yeah, and she's been gone a long time, so these mean a lot to me. Um, and that's why I didn't let anybody else unpack them. And that's why I didn't uh, leave them up here when the kids were coming out to sing. <laughs> but these shepherds, we think about these shepherds and the incredible blessing that they received that Christmas morning. But I want you to think about shepherds for a minute. Because these shepherds were not sort of the uh, Bible heroes that we think of. Shepherds in that culture and that society were on the very lowest rung of the social ladder. In fact, shepherds were so despised and so disrespected that they were not even legally allowed to testify in a court of law because nobody thought they were honest enough to be believed. They were always away from their families. They lived in the wilderness, essentially homeless. They slept in the dirt. They had the respect of nobody. They had no um, valuable resources to call their own. They worked for someone else in general, keeping watch over sheep. And that was their whole deal. They had it very difficult. In fact, they were so uh, disrespected and disregarded that living outside of the religious society and never being able to walk away from those sheep even for a moment, they couldn't even participate in the religious life of a good Jewish person. They could not keep the Sabbath because they had to work to take care of the sheep. They could not attend services. They couldn't just drop everything for the Passover feast and come in. In fact, the Passover was their busiest time ever because everyone needed what? A lamb. And so these guys were outside of the social stratus. They were outside of the religious community, and they were looked down upon by everyone. It's astonishing when you think about it that way to realize that this angel who could have appeared to anyone, who you would think would have showed up at a big coronation event for a king and announced to the king, there is a new king being born. You would think that he would have appeared to someone who was wealthy, someone who was powerful, someone who was significant, but he appeared not to them. He appeared to those who were weak and broken and hurting and lost. And I love the fact that Luke's gospel tells us about these shepherds and the honor that God paid to them. Life was not so great for them when that first Christmas rolled around. And then think, if you will, for a second about one of the big stars of Christmas, a little Hebrew girl named Mary. Think about what Christmas, that first Christmas, must have been like for Mary. I mean, we've talked about it many times. We can't emphasize enough how freakishly weird the situation was for her, right? That, that she is, she's greeted by an angel who makes an announcement that she will be with child even though she has never been with a man, and she doesn't understand the possibility of that. But even to think about this, to realize that Mary was in the best time of her life before God came in and messed the whole thing up. She had just gotten engaged. In those, day, in those days, in that culture, they had something called betrothal. And often the families were involved and they came together and there was a, a ceremony of betrothal in which 
uh, would be what we would call something like an engagement today, only much more serious. Once you were betrothed, you didn't actually go off and live together. You didn't actually become husband and wife in the fullest sense, but you continued to live with your own families. And this was the time when the young man would go and build a house or uh, start his business or do something that he could do so that he could prove that he could support this young lady. And so they're in this betrothal period when this happens. And so they're not together, they're staying apart, but you, can you imagine what this is like? She's planning a wedding. Now, some of you ladies know what this is like. Either you've done it for yourself, done it for your daughter, or both, and you know how exciting it is? I don't know. I don't really get it exactly, but, um, you know, we've been through one of these daughter's weddings, and I'm telling you, my daughter was pretty excited, and my wife was pretty excited. And it was a really great time, and her whole life was before her, and she's looking forward to this amazing thing that is coming. All of her plans are coming true. She's engaged to this great guy, and she's looking forward to the celebration with all of her family and all of her friends, and the whole community will come together and rejoice together, and then this happens to her. If you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have it, you can just listen, but in Luke chapter 1, this is the announcement that she gets. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, all of this is being said to her, and she's hearing about he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will have no end, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and I'm guessing that while all of this is being said, what she's hearing is blah, 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 because she's thinking, he said I'm going to be pregnant. What is that about? And so when she finally gets a chance, she responds, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Can you imagine how is this possible? And once you get past the how is this possible, because the angel says, well, with God, anything is possible. And so you shrug your shoulders and go, maybe I don't need to know the details. I guess this is going to be different than every other conception in the history of the world. So my conception is going to be different. Okay, I'll grant you that. But now you move on to the next question was, what in the world are people going to say? What are people going to think? And if I tell them this story... Not only will I be looked down upon, but I'll be shipped off to the funny farm. The truth is, shipped off to the funny farm was the best hope she had. Because the law of Moses said that she should be stoned for her sin. So whenever you find an unmarried woman pregnant, you put 
two and two together and you figure out what happened and she gets put to death for that adultery according to the Old Testament law. What are people going to think? And then, what's Joseph going to think? I mean, maybe I could survive if all my girlfriends are snickering. Maybe I could survive if people won't talk to me and they're walking on the other side of the road. But how am I going to possibly explain this to Joseph? My reputation is ruined for sure. She could be put to death for marrying. With all of the mixed emotions of this Christmas, at least among those emotions, had to be terror. And that's why the angel said to her, don't be afraid, because she was afraid. And think about Joseph. What's this like for Joseph? Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Luke tells us about Mary's experience with it. Matthew tells us about Joseph's. In verse 18 of Luke chapter 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. What was it like for this guy? I mean, first of all, you just get the news, and there's no way you're buying this story. Imagine what this does to a dating relationship. <laughs> I could just imagine the chat they had. You know, she was trying to figure out when to tell him and how to tell him. They went out to a movie, maybe. They, they had some dinner or something like that. They're, they're sitting on their donkey or whatever outside, and... And they're having this conversation, and she says, listen, there's something I have to tell you, but don't get mad. <laughs> and she tries to explain this to him, and I want you to just picture the look on his face, because the look on his face is somehow a combination of bewilderment and deep hurt and anger. Not only has she cheated on me, not only is she not the woman I thought she was, but now she's lying to me, and she's blaspheming God to do it. What am I going to do with this woman? She's already legally betrothed to him, which means in betrothal, if you're going to break up, you actually have to go through a legal divorce. And so it says he was a righteous man, and he decided to put her away secretly. That word put her away means divorce her. That's what it means in the Greek that he decided to divorce himself from her and send her away. He thought, instead of letting her be put to death, I will just quietly divorce her, send her to another place, and she can have that child and do and live her life and hopefully survive. Imagine what it was like for this guy. The story begins with thoughts of divorce, complete societal shame, and the news of a coming bastard child. That is the first Christmas. And when you think about how it all worked out when the angels came and talked to them both, 
and got them both together on this, just imagine what it was like because we don't hear one word about support from their family, encouragement from their family or friends or anyone coming alongside of them except for Elizabeth who lives in another town and she's supportive because she knows. Everybody else has apparently abandoned them. And we know this because not only is, are they going through this extremely difficult time, but now comes the good news, there's been a tax hike. And the, and the emperor announces that they will be taxed in a new way. And in order to be taxed in this new way, they all have to go to the, home of their, the hometown of their forefathers to be counted. And now they have to go to this little hamlet called Bethlehem. And they have to travel there while she's about ready to give birth. Now, this normally for most families was not the worst news in the world because it was a family reunion for everyone. They all got to come back together with their relatives, everybody seeing each other once again, everybody making room in their homes so that they could have their cousins and their aunts and uncles and their nephews and nieces staying with them, except you know the story. When they got there, where were all those relatives? Where were all those open doors? Not only was it so crowded that there wasn't room for them, guys, there was room in Aunt Martha's house. There was room somewhere among these relatives, but the doors were shut to them because of the shame, because of the scorn, and because they're sticking to this cockamamie story about how it all happened. Just imagine what they were facing. And then, as a part of this whole larger Christmas story, we have these guys. How many wise men were there? We have no idea. Somebody wrote a song once saying they were three wise men. Somebody wrote an opera once naming them and giving them stories. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't tell us. It just says magi, which we call wise men, from the east came. There may have been hundreds of them. There may have been a dozen there, but there were at least three because why, how do we know that? Three gifts, right? So these wise men, now they're in everybody's manger scene, right? But you probably know this. They weren't there. So let's do it like this. They were here. You know what they were doing? They were on their way. Now think about this. They were from the Persian area. They had about 1,000 to 1,500 miles to travel on foot from the time they saw the star and ascertained what it meant. So if, to get a picture of that, that's walking from here to Kansas City, Missouri. Okay? So it took them a while. But when they came, they came to Bethlehem, and he was still staying there in Bethlehem with the relatives and the parents. And they came, and they offered him gifts. Think about even for them what this was like. Apparently, they had this incredible journey that they had to take. They left their wealth and their comfort. They faced hardship and sacrifice. Why? Also, they could go see a little baby who they understood was greater than they. And as long as we're talking about people for whom it was a sacrifice, let's not forget this one, the baby in Mary's arms. He made the greatest journey, didn't he? He didn't just travel a distance. He left the throne of heaven and became one of us. And why did he become one of us? He became one of us so he could die. And he needed to die so we could live. 
the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus' sacrifice. To go from the throne of heaven to the womb of an unmarried peasant girl. And to be raised as just another human. See, we think that Christmas should be all about excitement, that the announcement should have been made to kings, that there should have been parades and ticker tape and all kinds of things. We think that it would be, if we were planning it, it would be this huge party and this huge big thing, and everybody would be rejoicing. But as we think about this story, I don't know if anybody was rejoicing, really. It was hard for everyone. What a way to start a marriage Imagine how hurt Joseph was. Imagine how confused they both were. And now they're on their own because even their family won't be with them. And then think about the time of the birth. What timing, right? You're going on a trip to pay taxes. And you have to go right at the time that she's about to give birth. And I would think that with all of that adding up, the Scripture tells us over and over that Mary pondered these things. And among the things that she pondered, I would have to imagine that she had some why questions. Why would God put us through this? Why isn't this going easier? And if this is God's big plan, why are we suffering? Because we always have this idea that if we're right in the middle of God's big plan, if we're following God and doing what God says, then suffering should not be a part of it, right? wrong. And, and it's an amazing thing when you think about it because most of us at one time or another, are, we're either there now or we've been there, right? Questioning, God, what in the world is this about? Where is God in all of this? No hotel, no bed, no room in anybody's house, no room in anybody's heart, no help, no support. Do this all on your own. Think about this. When Jesus taught his disciples, he told them over and over again, listen, I'm going to ask you to follow me, but if you follow me, you are going to suffer. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to have a difficult time of it. He told them again and again. Think about how God called um, Saul the Pharisee to become Paul the Apostle. He stops him in the middle of this great life and says, I'm going to turn your life upside down. You're going to become a follower of Jesus, and you are going to help other people become a follower of Jesus. And the way he describes it is, I will show him how much he must suffer on my account. So at least the suffering is announced to them. But Mary, she's just told, blessed are you among women. You get to do this. And, and of course she was blessed. But you would think, if I'm blessed, this should be going better. You ever felt that way? I, I'm trying to follow God. I, I'm a believer in Jesus, and, and I'm trying to be the person he wants me to be, and I'm not perfect, but you know what? I don't deserve this. I mean, where is God? I'm crying out. I'm calling out. I don't even recognize his voice. I don't see his hand. I'm not even sure if he still exists. And the question becomes, where is God in all of this. And then think about this as the Christmas story, the expanded Christmas story goes out. What happens? An angel comes to Joseph and says, listen, uh, you're not safe. I want you to take your family and go to Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? Of all places, Egypt. 
The, the one country that in everyone's mind is synonymous with suffering and pain and slavery and not hearing the voice of God, Egypt. I want you to go to Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, finally, after a little while, news comes to them. And what is the news that comes to them from their hometown? That the king, the emperor, has announced that all of the boys, two years old and under, in that part of the world will be put to death. Why? Because he's heard about your son. And the boys in this village are massacred because of your son. That's on you, that burden. Wow. Where's God in all this? The Christmas story, in many ways, is a story of suffering and confusion and grief and pain. Now, is everyone sufficiently depressed? <laughs> I'm not trying to depress you. I hope that you're having an awesome Christmas. I hope that this Christmas has been the best Christmas you have had in decades. I hope that you are having great times with family. I hope everybody's in good health. I hope that all is going well. I hope that you have enough money to do all the things you want to do and you're able to be with all the people you want to be with sincerely. I hope you have an awesome Christmas. I just want you to know if you're having that kind of Christmas, it's not biblical. Because <laughs> the biblical Christmas is different than that. And so if your Christmas involves some sadness, if your Christmas involves some lack and some brokenness, congratulations, you're biblical. <laughs> you're experiencing Christmas the way the Bible describes it because in many ways, that is what Christmas is about. And here's the point I want to make sure you get. See, you only need a Savior when all is lost. The Savior is not needed in a situation where no one is perishing. God doesn't have to infiltrate with light unless there's darkness, right? It's because of the darkness that he sends the one who is the light of the world. So let's not be shrugging our shoulders and wondering, why me and why are things going the way they are? Listen, the glory of Christmas, the beauty of Christmas is that while all is lost, while we struggle, while we're confused, while we can't explain even the suffering we or the people we love may be going through, that's why he sent his son. Jesus didn't come because life without him is easy and safe and comfortable and everlasting. He came because it isn't. That's the point. I want to read to you some verses. Don't even take the time to look them up. Just write them down. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to begin with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, with contempt. But later, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. See, it is because of the darkness that he comes to be the light. And when we find ourselves in a time of darkness, in a time of struggle, in a time of confusion, and we don't know what to make of it, the best that I can say is just keep looking to the one who is the light. That's why there's Christmas. He came to bring light where before there was only darkness. Now, let me take you to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 3, and help you to see this even more clearly. Because in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, this is what it says. 
What then? Are we better than they? That means Jews better than Gentiles? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow, how would you like to be the people that are being described there? Oh, wait, we are. That's us. Apart from Christ, that's us. And he goes on, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So in other words, not only are we all guilty, we're also accountable to God for our guilt. And not only that, but there's no religious path we can take to get there, to find that redemption. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So the bad news is there's none who does good, no, not one. And God's standard is that all must be holy. The good news is that Christ comes and fulfills the law, that's Christmas. That's what it's about. And then John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through that's Christmas. See, that's the point. The point is not life is jolly, let's add Christmas to it. The point is without Christmas, life is hopeless. Without Christmas, life is darkness. Without Christmas, life is without joy. But Christmas, Christmas changes everything. What is Christmas? If not a reminder that left to ourselves, you and I have made a mess of things. And what is Christmas if not a decisive statement by God himself that he is not going to leave that mess uncleaned? He has a plan to bring light into the darkness. He has a plan to bring hope where there once was only fear. He has a plan to bring joy where there was only mourning and sadness. And his plan is all centered around this little baby who is depicted in our manger scenes. And his name is Jesus. And he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save his people from their sin. Listen, I know some of us are hurting today. Some of us are doubting. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are ashamed. Some of us are mourning broken relationships. Some of us are lonely or sick or broke or all of the above. For some of us, life feels pretty dark right now. And we can shrug our shoulders and, and do the Christian thing and pretend that 
Christmas is really merry. Or we can turn our eyes to the one who is the light in the midst of the darkness and experience that merry. And here's the thing. If you're doing great today, you're going to hate me for this, but it's true. If you're doing great today, darker times are coming. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what your experience has shown you? Life goes like this, doesn't it? There's ups and downs. So if you're at the top right now, enjoy the ride. Take a look at the view, because next week, yeah, <laughs> you may not have the same view. And, and, and so that, my dear friends, is why Jesus came. It's not because we have it all together. It's not because we're doing just fine on our own. It's because the world is covered in darkness. And He is the light of the world. And that babe in a manger, He didn't stay in a manger. He grew up and became the Passover lamb. The one who carried away our sins on the cross. The one who said to the shepherds and the lepers and the prostitutes, and the criminals and the outcasts, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. For unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's the one who attracts wise men to himself, and they bow down before him because they understand that who he is is different. The babe in the manger is the Savior who calls out to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so today's Christmas message is about that. It's about finding light in the midst of the darkness. It's about finding rest in the midst of the upheaval. It's about finding peace in the midst of the chaos. It's about finding joy in the midst of the fear. It's about finding freedom that comes out of brokenness and captivity. See, what are you going to do with a Savior like that? I want to encourage you. Take a cue from the nativity people. Like the shepherds. Drop everything and run and rejoice just to be in His presence. And when you walk away, make sure you go and tell everybody about Him. Like the Magi, humble yourselves in His presence and recognize that even you, with all you've achieved and all of your wisdom and all your wealth and all your power, are desperately in need of a Savior because you can't fix what's wrong with you. Like Joseph... Trust God even when you don't understand and obey Him and watch Him do what only He can do. And like Mary, choose not to dwell on the difficulties that you may be facing. Refuse fear and doubt and instead turn your eyes upon Jesus and say, the bondservant of Christ, may it be done unto me as He wills. Oh, I almost forgot. There's an angel. Cute, right? Like the angel, proclaim at the top of your voice with your words in your life, unto us has been born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God 
the highest. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.